this is Cameron. And I'm Jorge Luis. Today we have a special guest, Joyce Pipkin, who coordinates the programs in Haiti. We are thrilled and thankful to have her with us. Let's start now. HopeCast. Learning about the life and mission of education equals hope. Welcome to the Education Equals Hope Hopecast. I'm Cameron Graham Vivanco. And I am Jorge Luis Rodriguez. I'm the co-founder of Equals H and the director of the program here in Ecuador. And I am the coordinator of teams and training for Equals H in Ecuador as well. Everyone say it with me. Education Equals Hope exists to provide for the education of those in desperate and difficult situations. And the purpose for this Hopecast is to be able to communicate to our dear listeners, supporters, and partners in ministry all about the activities and life and mission of Equal Sage, not just in Ecuador, but actually worldwide. Worldwide! Woohoo! And we are starting that adventure today. Today we have a special guest with us. Her name is Joyce Pipkin. Hi, Joyce! Hi, Cameron and Jorge. How are you? <laughs> Joyce is the director of, or the champion of the all of the ministries, well, two of the ministry sites that we have in Haiti. Mm-hmm. And we are so thankful that she has joined us. We've had a, a great time trying to get Zoom to work <laughs> and the audio to work so that Joyce can join us and share with us uh, about the Equals H ministry in Haiti. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, Joyce, please, please tell us who you are, what's your story, how did you get involved in the work in Haiti? Okay, so again, my name is Joyce Pipkin. I'm originally from the Chicago area and moved to Columbia, South Carolina in 1997 with my husband, John. And uh, shortly thereafter, we joined a local church. St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and we also joined their Outreach Ministry Committee. And um, in 1998, uh, very soon after we joined, we had an experience at our church where one of our pastors met a Haitian pastor who was visiting the U.S., um, attending a program on scholarship at University of the South. University of the South, Swanee, Um, Tennessee. (laughs) And um, they were both enrolled in the doctoral of ministry program there, where it's like a distance learning program where you do a lot of work at your home site. And two weeks a year, you come in the summer to the campus in Tennessee and uh, share with your co-students. So she had met this Haitian priest and became friends with him and learned um, so much about Haiti and their needs. And she came back to our church visited our outreach ministry meeting and said, I met this very devoted Haitian priest who is just in such need. Um, Haiti being the poorest country in the Western hemisphere has many, many, many challenges. And this pastor has six churches and three schools he's responsible for. And he has very little financial help, not enough partners to help run the schools. And, um, and also to support their churches. And he just wondered if there was something that we could do to help him. So we talked about it and said, well, let's ask him what 
could we do to help in some small way, at least to start? Joyce, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second. And you said that he was in six churches and had three schools. Could you just help us understand, help our um, our listeners who may not be as familiar with Haiti as you are, what um, what is the the economic reality? You said it was the poorest country in in the Western Hemisphere, but what is that? What does that mean? Can can you help us? Hey, give us some examples or help us understand. Okay, so being the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and actually being only um, 770 miles from Miami, Florida, it's very close to the U.S. Um, but the whole situation there is different. Uh, they have a, currently a population of about 11 and a half million and about 80% of that population does not have a regular paying job. 80%. Uh, they live below the poverty line. Mm. Um, many families live on $2 or less per day. Mm. And that was actually before this year, <laughs> which um, they had a major earthquake um, hit mm-hmm. the ministry site area that we work in, which impacted their ability to earn um, income and support their families and so forth. So um, I don't know if that's enough background. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the things that surround the culture when we describe the ministry. Sure. I just want to dig down on that just a little bit more. So $2 a day, we mm-hmm. have certainly... We have students and families who are in that same um, reality, but just to put that in context, like that's $60 a month for a family and prices, um, I'm sure that there are what you and I would consider normal prices in Haiti and there are also things that are less expensive like fruits and vegetables grown there are going to be less expensive than buying it at the Publix um, in Colombia, but it's not an economy to scale so drastically different that you can live comfortably on $60 a day. Mm-hmm. So $60 a day is for your food and your housing and your water and your transportation and your electricity and internet and... And other things. And probably those $2 per, per day and $60 per month help them to survive mm-hmm. in some way, but probably is not covering all of their actual need. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not covering for all of their food, not covering for all of what they truly need in life. It's just all what they can get. In general, Joyce, what would you say a student that whose family is living on $2 a day, what, what would they generally eat in a 24-hour period? Um, if they are fortunate enough to have a hot meal during a day, it would be rice and beans. And rice and beans is kind of like, what our kids would think of as spaghetti. Um, And they do eat spaghetti and meatballs, but they don't have the meatballs. They have spaghetti and they have bits and pieces of hot dogs, maybe in their spaghetti in Haiti. Mm -hmm. The rice and beans. Um, Mm -hmm. Rice and beans is pretty much the staple and it's what they're used to eating. It's their favorite food actually. Um, Because it is food. They don't have the variety. (laughs) Yeah, they don't have any of the variety that we have. Um, in this country when it comes to like, we don't typically cook the same meal every day for our family, but Mm -hmm. that's all they cook is rice and beans. Once in a great while, spaghetti with a couple pieces of hot dogs, once in a great while, maybe a piece of chicken cut up in that rice and beans, Uh, maybe some dried fish that's cut up in that rice and beans, but 
it's pretty much rice and beans. Rice and beans. Mm -hmm. And that's not because you can't get anything besides rice and beans in the country. It's just that's all that they can afford on $2 right. a day. Do you, would you right. say that most of your students are eating every day? Um, not a full meal. I would say that most of the students will have some type of food, maybe a piece of bread, a piece of fruit, um, candy. They consider candy a fruit. Uh, we don't, they do. Sure, because um, it's there and it provides energy. Yeah. Sugar cane, um, you know, just things that we would not typically think that someone could survive uh, on a daily basis. So, um, you know, having a hot meal is a luxury for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, now. well, sorry to take you down that rabbit hole, just trying to, okay. to get the context of what that means to have um, six churches and three schools and the resources. And it's not um, as though the people in or the families in the school or in the church are um, not looking for work. It's just 80% unemployment at that time. There, there's just no work to be found to have to make any money to provide for their families. Am I understanding that correctly? Right. Yes. And many of the parents, just like many of the parents in the poor areas of Ecuador, they have not had an education. Mm -hmm. So they have not been able to even qualify for anything that we would consider a job. Um, you know, they may, if, if they're mm -hmm. out in the countryside, they may have a plot of land that they could farm and maybe raise enough food to sell in the market, maybe, or maybe just have enough to feed their family. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like subsistence farming. Subsistence farming. Uh -huh. They need to survive. And, um, you know, if they do have animals that they can sell in the market, great, but that's, that's a luxury as well. And then the people that live in the town, um, one of the, we have actually two ministry sites in Haiti, and we're kind of jumping ahead, but our two ministry sites, one is a town, the third largest town in the whole country of Haiti, and the mm -hmm. other is in the countryside. Mm -hmm. And lifestyles are completely different in both of those areas. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So back to you and your church said, uh, your, your priest said, can we get involved? And you said, let's talk to the priest in Haiti and see what their needs are. And that's where I interrupted you. So back to you. Okay. Okay. So we asked our pastor in Haiti, what can we do to help your ministry? What is the best thing we can do? And he said, well, the number one thing, if I were to ask all of my church members, what can you, what can we do to find help for you? They would say, please help us find a way to send our children to school. Um, and that is because school is not free in Haiti. Uh, public education only represents 10% of the available education. And there are fees associated with public education. Mm. Um, yeah, and plus they have to pay for their books. They have to pay for a uniform. So there is no free education in Haiti. Um, the other 85 to 90% of the education is private schools, mm -hmm. but not the private schools that we know of or what we would think of in the U.S. Sure. Because we think of that as being for those that are privileged enough to afford it. Um, but in Haiti, some, the private schools are run by churches, um, nonprofit organization, there are some community schools, and education is a big business. Um, mm. People might say, Cameron, do you have a few dollars? We have a building we can rent down the street. We can grab some young people off the street to teach, and we uh, can start a school. Oh, and wow. we can call a commission, and that'll be some income for us. 
And they don't really, all of the private schools are not necessarily quality schools. Okay. Um, Haiti has a huge, huge percentage of the teachers in these private schools that are not educated. And even in the Haitian public schools, the teachers many times do not have any teaching credentials or teacher training that they've gone through. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is like one of the things that we are very proud of in our programs is that we have teachers that have been qualified. So, okay, getting back to what can we do to help? So our pastor said, um, please help us find a way to send the kids from our church uh, to school. And we said, what does it cost to send a child to school? And mm-hmm. he said, well, the average is approximately $100 a child. And this was back in 1998. And this is a year, and a month, uh, what, in what period of time? $100 a year. a year. To send a child to school. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we came back and talked about it at our outreach ministry meeting. And we said, you know what? Let's try to raise $1,000 to send 10 children to school. It's a start. It's a small start because we had many other ministries that we were supporting at that time. So um, we wrote back to the pastor and we said, could you please send us 10 photos of some of the children that need sponsorship, that need some help to send them to school? Mm -hmm. So he sent us 20 pictures of 20 beautiful faces. And of course, at our next meeting, we're like, who is going to choose the 10 out of the 20 faces that we're going to help? So we said, let's try to raise the $2,000 that it'll take. And we proceeded to set up a small um, little fundraising program um, after church on Sunday, a couple days uh, during a month. And we actually were able to raise that $2,000 and uh, sent 20 kids to school in 1998. Mm. So that was, um, we had photos of the kids. We posted them on our bulletin boards at church and we tried to keep connections with them. Lo and behold, a year goes by and we said, you know what? These kids need help again. Let's see if we can't raise that fund again. And we did. And for the first couple of years, we raised funds for 20 children. And then it was like 22 children. And then it was 24 children. And then it was 35 (laughs) children. Every year, it it kind of increased a little bit. And the needs, of course, uh, the needs were never going away. The needs never decreased, but the amount of children you were able to support was able to increase. Right. So um, at that point in time, uh, when the pastor came to the U.S. for his two-week U.S. visit to go attend classes at University of the South, um, he would connect and have a a visit to our church here in Columbia. Uh And got to know the pastor very well. His name actually was Father Rock, and he was a rock. <laughs> um, just a, a, a delightful, delightful spiritual man that was just um, full of energy and full of joy, and his motto was prayer, patience, and perseverance, and mm. that's what it takes to live and work in a country like Haiti, and mm. so he loved his people so much and was so happy what we were doing and we became friends with him and learned to love him as our pastor even though he was far away in Haiti Mm -hmm. so um for a number of years we just kept doing this and raising the funds and then in 2001 my husband and I 
volunteered to go to Haiti for the first time to meet the people that we were helping. Hmm. And um, not sure what made us do that, but uh, we just, actually, we were out to dinner one night and we started talking about, you know, what would it be like to go to Haiti? Isn't it a Caribbean island? I mean, probably a <laughs> really nice. Why don't we go? But <laughs> um, so we did. And uh, we learned that it was, there were very beautiful sections of Haiti that you would never see on the television uh-huh. um, because they didn't show that. They only showed the poorest parts of the poorest city, Port-au-Prince, and that's all you ever saw. Well, the ministry that our pastor was connected with was 120 miles from Port-au-Prince in the far southwest of Haiti, right near the coast. Uh-huh. And so we were quite a distance away, and it took anywhere from four to six to nine hours to drive that 120 miles. Four to nine um, hours. That's quite a spread. That it's a lot. And there's only really one main road that goes from north to south in Haiti. And it's a two-lane paved highway, but sometimes there's roadblocks, sometimes there's bridges out, sometimes there's animals in the street, um, sometimes there's storms, uh, roads are washed out, all kinds of things could happen. So uh, we learned that transportation was quite a challenge in Haiti. And even though it was only 120 miles away, and we would think, hey, that's you know, what, three or four hour trip at the very most, even if you stopped many, many times. But um, no, it wasn't like that in Haiti. So um, my husband happens to be a pilot. And just as an aside, he actually got connected up with a ministry that serves in Haiti by mm-hmm. the name of Mission Aviation Fellowship. Mm-hmm. And over the years that we went to Haiti, he got connected with them and became a volunteer pilot for them. And we were able to use their services to fly um, on occasion from Port-au-Prince to Lakai in the far south uh-huh. on a 45-minute flight versus four to six to nine hours. So um, <laughs> We've worked with uh, MAF, Missionary Aviation Fellowship, here in Ecuador as well, and what a wonderful organization. So helpful. So, um, so with that said, we, we spent some time in the south of Haiti and um, just had a joyful experience everywhere we went. People were so happy to see us. Um, We were able to visit the one Episcopal school that existed at that point in time that we had um, a number of our students attended that Episcopal school. Uh, But as the program grew over the years, we ended up having not just 10 or 20 small children in the program, but we had children of all ages. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, as the numbers of sponsored students increased, um, and, and also, by the way, after our first visit, our hearts were captured by Haiti, and we decided to go back um, and visit two to three times a year so oh, that wow. we could keep the connection going between our church ministry and the people that were generously supporting it and the people that we were helping. Because as you know, and you have actually reinforced and taught me, it's all about relationships. Here, here. Um, not about just helping people and sending money. It's about establishing relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ and their children. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing. That life-giving so, relationship, um, the giving and giving and taking um, right. that happens, reciprocal relationship. Right, right. 
Joyce, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of the Hopecast, but thank you more than anything for all that you have done for hundreds and hundreds of students over these 20 plus years and the relationships that you have formed there. We will again come back and hear more of your story, but thank you so much. You are very welcome. Thanks be to God for giving us the energy to do his work. Here, here. If you would like to be a part of Education Was Hope, if you'd like, be a, like to be a part of that um, process in Haiti, of course, just go to www.educationequalshope.org. Find the Give Hope button or the Donate Now button. Um, you can designate anything, uh, any of your donations for Ecuador, for Haiti, for General, for any of the other countries. But um, Haiti is so very, very much on our hearts right now. So again, thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to our Hopecast. If you want to join the mission or know more about it, please visit our webpage, www.educationequalshope.org, or check our YouTube channel and Instagram with the same name.